0: Well, good morning Greenwich. Welcome to the Thursday, June 3rd edition of the Basement Academy. I think today's workout in the gymnasium of the soul is certainly going to stretch us and I believe and pray it will strengthen us. So hopefully you'll hang in for about 25 or 30 minutes here of uh, a psalm and some reflection on the book of Ephesians. Let's dive into our morning psalm, Psalm 33. I've always enjoyed this one. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the lord let all the people of the world revere him for he spoke and it came to be he commanded and it stood firm the lord foils the plans of the nations he thwarts the purposes of the peoples but the plans of the lord stand firm forever the purposes of his heart through all generations blessed is the nation whose god is the lord the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth, he who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army, no warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance despite all its great strength. It cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Psalm 33. Love it. Reminds us of creation by the word of the Lord. Uh, where the heavens made. And so God speaks and it comes to be. It's the reference to the Genesis story. Let there be light. Um, we like that part of the story. God's power, uh, God's activity in this world. God thwarting the plans and purposes of the nations but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever the purposes of his heart through all generations. And so it's a it's a psalm that celebrates God's sovereignty, God's power, his creation, his intentions for his people and for the world. And I think it serves as a wonderful backdrop to our second Reflection on the opening sprawling sentence in Ephesians. And so yesterday read Ephesians 3 through 14. We saw this Trinitarian pattern or structure, the Father who plans our salvation, the Son who secures our salvation, the Spirit who seals our salvation and punctuated at the end of each of those sections with this refrain, to the praise of his glory or for the praise of his glory. So the activity of the father is for the praise of his glory. So the father's planning activity and choosing activity ultimately is for his own praise. The Jesus saving activity is for his own praise and the spirit's sealing and marking us out, um, becoming a down payment as it were is for the praise of of God's glory. So I made reference yesterday to um, the salvation study that we did in our theology series uh, last summer. Went back, it was last July, so almost a year ago, uh, July 13 through 17 and 20 through 24, Theology 201 and Theology 202. What is salvation? Just understanding the robustness and fullness of salvation, not this get my ticket, stick it in my pocket, but these many images that scripture gives us of salvation. And then how God accomplishes our salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. So I would encourage you that's uh, two sets of five studies. And so perhaps you want to at some point go back and and look at those and perhaps some of the things i'm getting ready to say may um may may, uh, prompt that as well okay let me read that sentence again praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in christ For he, that is the Father, chose us in him, that is in Christ. So the Father chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons or children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, so now this is the Jesus section of the, the sentence, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also, there's that Jew-Gentile, we and and you, you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Okay. Okay. It, it, it just goes and goes and goes. Father, Son, Spirit, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. But there's a lot of stuff going on in there. <clears throat> and what I want to talk about is a, um, well, I want, I want to start with this. <clears throat> what Paul is doing here Uh, I've suggested that Ephesians chapters 1 to 3 are foundational theological truths, the indicative, these are things that are true. Chapters 4 to 6, here's how you live based on these truths, okay? So kind of the indicative imperative, this is what's true, here's how to live then, uh, the practical uh, pastoral expression. And so what Paul does, he launches right in. There is no, no waiting around he dives into this foundational truth of God as the one who plans and purposes and calls and chooses and puts into effect, right? That he, uh, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. And so Paul works us back to the Genesis story, the creation, the covenant. And so in the first you know, dozen, 15 chapters of Genesis, you have a God who speaks the world into being. You have the human family that rebels against. You have the flood. You have the Tower of Babel. You've got some expressions, Cain and Abel. You've got expressions of sin. You've got expressions of mercy. Then in chapter 11 and 12, we get introduced to Abraham, God calls, he's known as Abram at that point, but I'll keep calling him Abraham. God calls to Abram, I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless all peoples. And then God enters into covenant with Abraham and Abraham's family. And so Paul writes out of this foundational understanding of God as the one who was the author of all life. Okay, this is... The Psalm, Psalm 33. God is the author of all creation, all that is. God is the author of the covenant. God is the one who is shaping the salvation story. And he chooses a man, Abraham, and his family, and then he sovereignly oversees Abraham and Abraham's family, and they come to be known as the Jews. Okay? And so, and so God chooses this particular plan, this particular way of saving the world, to save the world relationally. And so he chooses Abraham. Abraham believes God. It is reckoned to him as righteousness. So Paul picks up elsewhere in the book of Romans this understanding of a righteousness that comes from God by faith or through faith. So Abraham is rightly the father of the Jews, but he's also the father of all believers, okay? And so we uh, who believe in Christ are legitimately the heirs of, of Abraham. And so God chose this plan to work through a man and his family to bring forth a Messiah, a deliverer, a savior, but he also chose this method of the substitutionary atonement foreshadowed in the Old Testament sacrifices fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that the So John the Baptist could rightly say, and we read in John's gospel, behold the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And so this notion of a life for life substitute, what we call a substitutionary atonement. And so um, the, the, the blood is offered. It is life for life. This notion of the seriousness of sin and then God offering his own son as a substitute again, We've talked about that in that theology series. So go back to theology 201 and 202. So this is just to say, Paul writes out of that foundation. Okay. And what Paul also does then is he lifts up here in this opening sentence. It's really, you know, several paragraphs, three sections Father, Son, Spirit, the planning, purposing, predestining work of god the father who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will okay so what i want to do for a few moments is to reflect on this notion of predestination it's an idea that is biblical okay so the the idea of trinity uh, the word trinity nowhere shows up in our bible Okay so that that word is not in our bible the concept is of one god in three persons father son spirit and this is a trinitarian passage so ironically christians do not struggle with the concept of trinity i mean we struggle to comprehend it how can 3 be 1 right one and 3 ah but but we don't fight it okay we don't fight the notion of the Trinity. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. We sing in our uh, beloved hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. So, the word Trinity is not in the Bible and we don't fight it. The word predestination is in our Bible and we kick and fight against it like there's nobody's business. (laughs) And so, I've been uh, intrigued by that over the years. To observe so many Christians who will say things like, I don't believe in predestination. I thought you believed your Bible. Well, I do believe my Bible, but I don't believe in predestination. Well, predestination's in your Bible. Trinity's not in your Bible. Predestination is in your Bible. So it's not that you don't believe in predestination, it's that. You don't like what the Bible appears to teach about predestination, or what um, what some uh, within the Christian family talk about what predestination means, and so there's some understanding of predestination that people don't like. Okay, and so um, it, 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 at kind of at best we struggle with predestination; at worst we resist it. Right the, the notion of of predestination. So I want to kind of tease that out uh, for a few moments. but but Paul clearly is writing out of that understanding, okay, that God knows and determines and acts and brings about and puts into effect things that have been planned <laughs> before The creation of the world. (laughs) He chose us in him before the creation of the world. So even before God said, let there be light, God had chosen some things to happen in and through Jesus Christ. Our minds struggle to understand this. So, so let me let me do do a little uh, reflection here on why it is that I think we struggle. And this is just one person's understanding one person's opinion, okay? I've thought about it for a while, but I'm not saying you have to believe as I do, but but try it on for a few moments. So first of all, I think we struggle with predestination because we divorce. The question or the idea or the truth, (laughs) the biblical notion of predestination, we divorce all of it from the story. We come to this passage, we come to this word, we come to this concept, and all of a sudden we're no longer thinking the biblical story of salvation that goes back to creation and Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets and John the Baptist and Jesus, you know, the story where it's got people and um, action and, you know, foibles and faults. You know, it's very, it's a very personal story, right? And then all of a sudden we get to this and we divorce the story and we get into a theological debate. We get into some abstract kind of laboratory kind of discussion about predestination. We, we divorce this from the story. And I think that's, we should not do that. Okay, so so my first thought is one of the reasons we struggle is because we have divorced the discussion from the context of the the arc of the salvation story that we find in the Bible. Okay. Uh, By that I mean um, we we don't have a problem with God creating all things. At least I don't think we do. Uh, we, I think we celebrate that. Uh, one of our hymns um, that, that's uh, based on Psalm 100, Without our aid he did us make. All people that on earth do dwell. Without our aid he did us make. I think we, on the whole, embrace that. We don't make ourselves, right? But we forget that. We can sing the song. We can affirm it kind of conceptually. Of course, I didn't make myself. But we forget then how much of our own lives and our own story as as people, as individuals, are shaped and determined without our aid. So obviously in my mother's recent death, we've had occasion to go back and think about the generations. And so reading grandparents' letters and handwritten notes, I'm um, looking at my mother's life prior to my father, meeting my father, all those pictures. So just going back a couple of generations, grandparents, I, I did not influence their life at all. They came together, they married, they joined, they had union, they had a child. Uh, Jacqueline uh, Marshall, Thomas Leland Meeks, they meet at some point, strikes me as very sovereignly, providentially ordered, this little girl from Smith Island meets this Naval Academy graduate or Naval Academy midshipman, and the day after graduation, they join in marriage, and then some years, uh, children are born, and I'm one of them. I didn't choose any of that. Now, I'm alive, and I have choices to make, but I didn't choose uh, any of these things that have come before me. And we tend to forget that, right? So I didn't choose to be born. I don't choose to be born again. Whoa, 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 whoa Don, wait a second. I, I, I can go with you in that part about not choosing to be born. I didn't choose to be born on June 9th, 1960. I just was born. I was in the room, so they tell me, right? <laughs> Uh, I I didn't choose to be born, but I think that the notion of John chapter three, where Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, you are a teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things. Abraham didn't choose God. Moses didn't choose God. (laughs) David didn't choose uh, to be, These, these came to them. God does the choosing in this salvation story. God does the determining. God's action is the one that shapes the story. Nicodemus, you don't understand this? Because Nicodemus is saying, how can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? Well, that's the point, Nicodemus. This is of God. (laughs) This is not of you. This is of, of God. And so in this story of salvation, God chose Abraham um, God sovereignly oversaw uh, the birth of Isaac, right? Abraham tried to take things into his own hands and had a child by Hagar, Sarah, his wife's uh, a servant. And God said, nope, that is, not, that is not my plan. You took things into your own hand and only messed things up, right? And so this deep, long animosity between the sons and the family of Ishmael and the family of, of Abraham and Isaac. And so Isaac's birth was sovereignly uh, intended, superintended by God. God providentially ordered Isaac and, and Rebekah's uh, marriage, uh, the way Rebekah was raised up as his wife. God chose Jacob, the second born over Esau. They were twins, but Esau came out first. And so the rights of the firstborn should have come to him, but God chose Jacob. And then there's all this crazy you know, manipulation and grasping when God had it put together all along. The Joseph story, God sending Joseph ahead of his people uh, to to save them through, through Egypt and Pharaoh. God involved in all that. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. God superintending all that. Moses and David and so on. Okay, so the story clearly is... God is the one who chooses. God is the one who puts things into effect when times will have reached their fulfillment. And so Paul's just writing out of the context of the biblical story. But that gets forgotten because we divorce this and we make this into a theological debate. Another aspect of this is that we struggle with predestination because we're stuck in time. And so it's today, Thursday, June 3rd. I don't know what's going to happen uh, on Friday, June 4th. I've, I've got some plans. I've got some ideas. I've, I've got some activities um, that I'm anticipating. But we struggle to comprehend a God who was outside of time, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who has not changed one iota. We change in and through and over time. God is the same Right now, at this moment, as he was at the moment of creation, at the moment that Paul wrote this letter for the first time, God hasn't changed at all. And so we struggle to understand a God who's outside of time, who can know things before they have happened. Our finite minds just struggle with that. But there's something about the beforeness is what we struggle with. The God knows something before it comes about. And so... One of the, I think part of what's in this is it's hard for us to let go of our agency. We want to think we are the ones who determine things for our lives. So the common way out that people choose around predestination, that is God knowing, God choosing in advance. The common way out is for people to say, okay, 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 okay. I'll grant that God can know things in advance. So what God does is he looks into the future of my life and he sees that I'm gonna be one who chooses him and based on knowing that I will choose him, he chooses me. That's the common way out of this. That God sees down the corridor of time, he sees that I will respond to him, therefore he chooses me. That still puts me in the driver's seat. It's, he's choosing me based on my choices that he anticipates or he he sees in advance. I do not believe that's what is being spoken about in predestination. And so underneath it, we, we struggle with predestination because we want to be the determiner. We resist things that we think there are influences in our life that we are not determining. And I would offer to you that... It is that desire to be the one who determines that sits at the heart of it. And and so God made us with agency, that is a capacity to choose and a will and all of that, minds, all of that. But this stubborn insistence on being the one who determines things, I would offer to you, traces back to sin. Adam, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Something in taking that fruit, Adam and Eve taken to themselves the right or the prerogative to determine good and evil. I will determine what is right. I will determine what is wrong. And so in some way, I think what sits underneath of this struggle with the notion of predestination ultimately is sin and our resistance to the notion that we're not in complete control of our lives. But I would offer to you that that's a manifestation of sin. And so the the, the 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 flip side of this or one side of this is when people say, well, God chooses, then the response is, well, that's not fair that God would choose some and not choose others. And then my response to that over the years has been, and what makes you think your understanding of fair is untainted? Because at that moment, you are now sitting in judgment of God. I don't know if you can follow that. But when we say, God, that's not fair, that you would choose this person and not that person, it assumes we have complete understanding and a perfect ability to, de- to determine what is right and wrong, what is fair and unfair and i would offer to you that that is ultimately a manifestation of sin it is so much a part of our lives that we don't even question it we always think we're right when we say something's not fair and this is there's other applications of, of this with respect to issues of justice i would offer so the the last resistance is if god chooses and determines why evangelize that that's how people typically come at this. Well, if God's the one who knows who's going to heaven and who's not and who's going to be saved and who's not, then why do we even evangelize if God's got it all figured out? The very short and accurate answer is because the Lord Jesus Christ said, go and proclaim the gospel, (laughs) preach to the nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He said, do it and we do it. Because he has chosen evangelism as the means by which God's chosen people come into relationship with him. He chooses us to be a part of the story. He chooses us just like he chooses Abraham. Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless all nations. And then he chooses us. To then go be his messengers, his ambassadors. He he enlists us in the great work of bring this good news. And those then who are called and chosen hear that good news, and they hold that word fast. To use the word of the parable of the sower, that image. And so, they hear that gospel of Jesus. And instead of resisting it and saying, "Well, nobody's going to tell me I'm a sinner," they go. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And they hear that word of truth and they hold it fast and they come alive. <laughs> and, and they receive the Holy Spirit. When you believed, you were marked out with the Holy Spirit. God has sealed you, has guaranteed you. You were saved when you hear the gospel of, of, of your salvation. And so that's what Ephesians 1 is just retelling all of this story. It's doing it in a sprawling way, but it's doing it in a clear, I think, a clear way that is consistent with the full story. So what Ephesians 1 is celebrating God's plan. God is the one who is determined to save the world. He does this through a person, Abraham, and then the greater son of Abraham, Jesus, okay, And so God's plan is to save personally and relationally. So he has a plan, he chooses a person. The pathway is by faith, okay? And he chooses the substitutionary atonement And by believing in Jesus the Christ, that's the path. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am the way to the Father. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. So that's the chosen path through Jesus Christ. And and that we share the gospel and people receive the gospel and we share and receive. And so the gospel goes forward and the purpose is for God's glory, that God would be glorified, that he would receive the praise, not we ourselves, And so that, he picks up again the theme. Uh, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we'll come back to this in chapter two. And so Ephesians chapter one is a celebration of the story of salvation that God has been working all along, it has now reached its fulfillment. All that God was doing in Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets and the kingdom and all that was going on has now reached its fulfillment in Jesus Christ and we celebrate that and we rejoice in that and we give God the glory. So let me stop there. That's enough probably for you to chew on for uh, at least overnight until we gather again uh, for Friday morning so I hope this is helpful I assume there's been some things that have stretched and, and, and nudged a little bit and so uh, we'll pick up and probably tease a few more thoughts uh, tomorrow so let, let's pray father we thank you for not only these words in Ephesians but all of the words that have come before it that tell us of the story of creation and of covenant and of your deliverance sovereignly Uh, from Egypt uh, through Moses, uh, the David story, uh, so many stories that prepare us for the Jesus story. Help us, Lord, to keep all of our questions, all of our wrestlings, all of our struggles grounded deeply in the full story of salvation as we find in these scriptures. Lord, profit these words to our understanding. Lord, if I've said anything that is unhelpful, untrue, unwise, unholy that you would blow them away with the wind of your spirit because that which is good and true to remain in hearts that are well prepared to receive and hold fast and bring forth a fruit to your glory and so we make our prayer this day in the name of jesus our savior who taught us to pray together saying our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, may the God of Moses and David, may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ keep you, and bless you through the power of his Holy Spirit this day and forevermore. Amen.